From Audio Boom comes Covert, a new podcast that delves into the murky world of spies, soldiers, and top secret military operations. I'm Jamie Rennell, and together we'll discover the real stories of history's greatest classified missions, told by the operatives, soldiers, and journalists who experienced it firsthand. Follow Covert on Spotify or subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Welcome to Travel First with Chris Coleman and Alex First. A very warm welcome. This is Alex First. It is Travel First. You and I and Christopher Coleman are going to take trip the light fantastic, take the trip to Bruges from Brussels and from Amsterdam where I was last week. G'day, Chris, how are you? Greetings to you, Alex. I went through Bruges many, many years ago en route from the UK to Brussels. Uh, ah, very good indeed. But you didn't stop and stay and wander around. Other other than a, a, a short look around, uh, which I recall canals and many historic buildings, no, didn't have a lot of time. We were en route to Brussels on a fairly tight timeline. Chocolate is one of those things that you could stop off for, but I'll tell you a little bit about that. That's sort of a taste tempter. And we, we were in Harlem, if you remember last week, we talked about Harlem, H-A-A-R-L-E-M in the Netherlands, and that's not too far away from Amsterdam. Well, we got back to Amsterdam and then we caught a Eurail, well, we had a Eurail pass, a Rail Europe trip. And I've mentioned before that catching trains is just wonderful because you literally land in the heart of things. You don't have to go from airports to the centre of the city. So it it took oh, three hours and 19 minutes to get from Amsterdam to Brussels. And by the way, check it all out, raileurope.com.au. And apparently we in Australia are the biggest users of Rail Europe, Europe per capita, which is quite extraordinary, really. I mean, I, considering we've got a population of 24 million people, I know we're a long way away, but one of the things I'd said to you before, if you get onto that website, you can get some really neat specials which save you a lot of dollars. So you can do multi-country passes, for example, which I think is a really good idea if you're going to travel to Europe for a few weeks on end and you're spending a few days here, a few days there. And you can do it in the lap of luxury and you can take as much luggage on board as you as you want to and... For most trips, you can arrive 15 minutes before and everything's fine. You don't have to sort of get there two hours before a trip or anything of that nature. So, yeah, I mean, there's certainly – it depends on the distance that you're travelling. I mean, if you're, you're trying to cover a large distance in a short space of time, flying obviously could be an advantage. But if you want to see scenery, if you want to sort of sit in the lap of luxury, have a bit of room around you and dine in the beautiful dining cars, etc., we found the Rail Europe experience very, very favourable. So – with literally seconds to spare, and just a few minutes after we arrived in Brussels, we were on another train to Bruges. And that, so we, we, about an hour later, we were there. It's 99K from Brussels. And we find, found our way to our hotel by public transport. And it literally was within a, a couple of hundred metres of the hotel. We stayed at Martin's Relay. That's R-E-L-A-I-S. Now, five houses were joined together to form that hotel, Chris. What immediately strikes you is that it's walls and corridors in the atmosphere of Bruges' historical rich past 
it, it positively oozes old world charm mixed with modern hospitality. I, and, I love it when you when you get and you don't get it in Australia because we don't just have enough of that style of architecture. But in many European countries where you've got those those terraced housing or the, the old style Victorian housing. You can do that. You can join. You can. They can make up the adjoining properties into the one hotel. I love that idea. Oh, it, it's it's wonderful. I mean, you've got. By the way, the front office staff. I'm going to mention them by name because they were fantastic. Frederick and Charlotte, particularly helpful and attentive to my wife and my needs, which is great. And look, the whole thing dates back to the 13th century, <laughs> and between the 16th and 19th centuries, these patrician homes were owned by a succession of wholesale merchants who traded fabrics and wall tapestries, wine and colonial wares. And as I say, there were five houses joined together that formed the Martins Relay Hotel, R-E-L-A-I-S. 44 rooms in three categories, ranging from standard, either facing one of the canals or, or the hotel garden. So from standard rooms to junior suites and suites. And it was really, again, one of the great places that we stayed. Bruges, by the way, was founded in the ninth century. So we're going further back in time by a group of Danish Vikings. What does the name Bruges mean? Well, hey, more... Alex, what does the name Bruges mean? She, you ask the best questions. That's why you're such a good journalist, Chris. <laughs> and uh, sorry, that was almost disingenuous, wasn't it? <laughs> That's why you're such a great journalist, Chris. The name apparently means mooring place, so where you moor your boats. And back in the early Middle Ages, Bruges was one of Europe's most important seaports. And as far back as Roman times, there was already considerable seafaring activity in the region. Bruges has actually been dubbed the Venice of the North. Now, I was going to ask you about this because it gets dubbed the Venice of the North, Stockholm gets dubbed the Venice of the North, uh, Amsterdam gets dubbed the Venice of the North. Which one of them is most Venice-like? Well... This is the same argument as to, you know how Melbourne has been voted the world's most livable city? Mm. When we visited Vienna, Vienna said, oh, we've been voted the world's most livable city five years in a row. Yes, it depends on who judges it, right? So it's kind of like you've got the Oscars and then, then you've got a succession of other awards, right? And it's the same sort of thing. So, I mean, mind you, I suppose Venice of the North, everybody wants to claim some sort of fame and... I reckon Bruges is as good a Venice of the North as any of the other cities you've mentioned. So <laughs> Everybody I'm, wants a slice of the action. Exactly. I'm going to go with it regardless. I mean, it's the <laughs> capital of the province of West Flanders and it happens to be Belgium's most popular tourist destination. True story, when I was a student and I travelled, probably the most remarkable place I visited was Bruges. And I only spent a day there and I remember going staying at a pension I'm not sure whether it's pension or pension. Regardless, I stayed in one of those places and I remember having warm, crusty bread for breakfast and I remember the wooden floorboards and I promised that I would come back when I was an older person and that I have done. Um, I've lived up to my promise to myself. Uh, so and Travel First, Edition 17, where Alex revisits some of his misspent youth. Yes. Well, <laughs> you've put it exceptionally well. Yes, yes. And and not just not just me, but a couple of million visitors flock to this perfectly preserved medieval town each and every year. In the year 2000, the historic city centre was given world heritage status. Not before time, I might say, because if any city is worthy of that moniker, Bruges most certainly is. I'm surprised it took till the year 2000, which incidentally was the year I bought my car. 
This is a total deviation. Do you know that my car is now classified as a as a historic vehicle? I don't know why, but in the last year, I could insure my car much cheaper because it was considered to be a vintage, vintage or veteran vehicle. Isn't that bizarre? So when you say you bought your car in the year 2000, I'm assuming you didn't buy it new in the year 2000. Yeah, I did. So, so it's 16 years old and, and now you can call it a historic yep. vehicle. Yes, and not only that, if I hold on to it for a little bit longer, it's going to go up in value, which is rather amazing. I mean, you know, I, yeah, I was pretty staggered by that. I, 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 folks, I'm saving about $1,000 a year on insurance, literally, because it's a vintage and veteran vehicle. So check it out. This is, a, this is a, not a travel tip, but I suppose it is because you, you do – well, it is a travel tip because you can travel by car to get to places. Yes? <laughs> Come on, buy it. Buy into it, sir. I guess I'll give it to you. I'll concede the point. Well, incidentally, getting back to Bruges... Oh, yes, please, let's do that. Hey, maybe I could take my car across next time. Today, Bruges has 27 museums. Yeah, I, I didn't actually count them all, but I believe okay. them when they told me that. So, mm -hmm. And you, you can visit... Uh, I mean, th this is the other thing. You can visit with other attractions for free, all of these museums, if you purchase... Guess what? A Bruges City card. We've talked about this a lot, haven't we, Chris, that you, you go to the various cities in Europe and you buy the city cards for a couple of days or three days or four days or whatever. And they vary, you know, depending, depending upon where you go. And it also allows you to sail along the canal when the boats are operating. Cool. Yeah. Now, it's unfortunate because we were there when the boats were not operating. Ah, the joys of travelling in the middle of winter. Were the canals frozen? They they weren't very warm. No, okay. they, they, they weren't frozen over, no. but they, you, you didn't go for a dip. I didn't go for a dip, but I looked longingly at the boats. They didn't move, Chris. I was very upset. No, but there we go. If, if I was there between the 1st of March and mid-November, they would have moved. So there's so, a tip. Go to Bruges when the boats are running. Exactly. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because and, then, and then go to Spain when the bulls are running. That's true. Yes, I'm an Essendon supporter and I, I didn't like that, you know, the guys who'd been rubbed out unfairly um, as an Essendon supporter. Of course, you'd get me saying that, but I thought it was very unfair and, and I wondered what the club thought when they ran with the bulls. <laughs> you, you, know, you know, you don't want to you know, be gored by a bull and then want to play football again the next year. But anyway... Uh -huh, but it's great for your explosive speed. There you see. There's always a silver lining. There is I love answer. it. I, I thought for a moment you were going to say you're an Essendon supporter, and thus this year you've been looking for alternative sporting entertainment, and you've been watching the, the running of the Bulls from Pamplona. No, 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 no. In fact, now I'm not allowed to say that, but just between you and I, mm. the the reality is that we are recording this the the day before Essendon plays a game that <laughs> I don't want to win. See, it's all about. I mean, it's all about the number one draft pick, right? And if we win tomorrow, we are going to not win the wooden spoon. You know, we, I, I am a passionate paid-up member, right? And I have been for many, many years, and I go to all the games in Melbourne and sometimes even interstate. So all of this means a great deal to me. And all season, you know, we've been... At last few weeks, we've been getting too close for comfort. We're playing very good football, and we've got a very good chance of winning. Now, I mean, we're not allowed to use the tank word, are we? But can we tank? Can we have noble victories? Well, I have a question at this victories? point. Will it's... Essendon, because of the circumstances surrounding this, and if, for people overseas who don't understand what we're talking about, just 
Feel free to Google it at some stage. But will Essendon They're the actually... greatest football club in on the planet? Oh, here we go. Will they will they be actually be given the first draft pick, bearing in mind the circumstances in which they have found themselves in in dire straits, where where they were unfairly pilloried? Oh, about to say. yes, yes. Of course they will because they deserve it. If you finish last, you get the number one draft pick. There's only one concern that I have. My, all of my best mates are Carlton supporters, and I don't think much of them because they support Carlton. But anyway. Carlton and Essendon are locked together at the top of the table with 16 premierships and with four wooden spoons. And ah. if we win the wooden spoon, they have got bragging rights over us to claim that they are, over time, the best club. Given the so, amount of misery that has been inflicted on me over the years for, by Essendon supporters, Alex, you've suddenly lost any any last vestige of sympathy for? that I may have. These days, I am I am a proud, paid-up member of the Greater Western Sydney Giants. Hang on, these days. See, this is what you know. A fair weather friend. You, no, when you, you moved, when you moved to a, a new area, when you move out of the AFL universe for a while, when you move to an area and a team starts up, which is uh, for me, you get on board. Oh, get sir. on board with your local team. Sir, my, my brother-in-law is from Perth. I don't hold that against him. It's a lovely city. Mm. But he, because he's now living in Melbourne, he still supports the West Coast Eagles. So we give him a lot of curry about that. Mm. But but there you go. He's, he's tr- stayed true to the cause. Now, who did you originally barrack for? That's an irrelevant point, Alex. These days <laughs> I am a Greater Western Sydney Giants supporter. No, no, no. I am proud Just and paid up and I, and I sport the orange at, yes, at, yes, on a very yes. regular basis. Do you also support the Dutch, considering you're supporting <laughs> orange? Tell me more about Bruges, Alex. Yes, very good, very good. You got out of this almost. Who did you originally support? Tell me about Bruges. Bruges, yes. Okay, so I was talking to you about... I support Bruges Football Club. They have a team, don't they? I'm sure they do, and if they don't, you can start one. But the beaut part about getting a Bruges City card, which allows you to go along the canals during March to November and the 27 museums, it only costs €46, which is very reasonable for a a couple of days, and €49, which is even more reasonable, for a three-day card, which is around about, what, 75 Australian dollars for three days. Mm -hmm. And that's that's, that's great to go to all the museums and travel through the canals, etc., it's still the wonderful, pretty city I remember from my early adulthood. The only other time, of course, that I've visited. And the medieval streets, the cobbled squares, the waterways are what make it so special. Population under 120,000. Best explored the city by canal, by bicycle or by foot. Although watch those cobblestones and cobbled squares when you're going there by bike. Uh, it could shake you around a little bit, but it's beautiful. I, I hit a rock the other night when I was riding my bike. It's not fun. No, it isn't. It is not at all. But, I mean, it really is a beautiful city. It's one of the greatest cities that I've ever visited, and I, I'm, I'm not kidding you. And because it's relatively small and intimate, it gives it a very special feel. And as I say, because it was winter, I was told the canal cruises operated. Well, actually, they, they do operate only on weekends, and it wasn't a weekend we were only there for a day again, unfortunately. So, yeah, we missed out on that. Now, so I'm presuming that on weekends during winter they operate, and then, of course, from the 1st of March to mid-November they operate every day. Barely an hour and a half of daylight sort of remained, you know, by the time we really sort of got around, and, and we set out at 4 o'clock and simply started wandering the streets of Bruges. The Burg, B-U-R-G, one of the city's most beautiful squares, for more than six centuries... Bruges has been governed from its 14th century city hall. Well, that's nice. It is. I think it is. And, and the Belfry, 
There's no bats there, I believe. But anyway, the Belfry is the most important of Bruges Towers, 83 metres tall. And among other things, it houses... Uh, is it Carillon or Carillion? I believe it is pronounced Carillion, but it is that's spelt what, Carillon. Yeah, that's right. That's what I believe. Well, like, it's like like yours in Canberra. Well, we call it a Carillion here, and it is spelt Carillon. So, yeah, I love I love running around Lake Burley Griffin and going up to the Carillion. And this Carillion has forty seven melodious bells. Now, I, I don't expect you to know how many melodious bells there are in Canberra. Many. <laughs> <laughs> You are really you're switched on. Today. I, I, I am I am on fire today, my I friend. am so pleased and proud that I'm talking to you on this fine day. By the way, what what was the temperature in Canberra this morning? Uh, actually, it's very pleasant this morning. It's only about nine degrees. It's it, no, no, I, I, t I tell you, I was up nice and early, and the first thing I did is I inspected Canberra's weather. Mm. They said it was five degrees, and it felt like negative temperatures. Well, I was just outside 10 minutes ago and it didn't seem that bad. Yeah, but you're now talking to me at midnight. So, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> now, with its white-coloured house fronts, its tranquil convent garden and museum, Beggenhof was founded in 1245. And its origins date back to a group of women who'd come together to live in a religious community, primarily to look after the sick. And remember, I've talked to you about houses where women congregate. I've spoken to you about that in another one of the European cities I visited. So one part of Bruges, by the way, that we found quite irresistible was its many delicious smelling, gorgeous looking chocolate shops. That's one of the reasons that you actually go there. Is there anywhere in Europe you didn't go and find a chocolate shop? Well, I mean, it's one of life's great pleasures, let's be honest. And I mean, it's, it's you know, it's good for you, Chucky. You know oh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it depends on the cocoa content. And if it's dark chocolate, you can do very, very well out of it. And it's just fantastic. It's, I mean, I'm, it's what I regard as traditional chocolate, but it's also many specialty lines. Do you know that in Bruges, they, they have a chocolate shop that looks like a workshop of tools, all made out of chocolate? I remember this now. Hammers. I, I remember this, you can buy, and we did, we did. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. you're talking 30 years, more than 30 years ago, and we bought chocolate tools in Bruges. Yes, there you go. Yeah, well, I mean, amazing spanners and nuts and bolts. There were even horseshoes and the like. Yeah, the Dust. chocolate teapot wasn't much good, but... <laughs> well, actually, I, I suppose you could drop chocolate into coffee. and that. That'd be... Oh, if you haven't done that. Yeah, well, I'm not a coffee man, so... Oh, OK, well, but... you probably haven't then. But you could drop chocolate into hot chocolate, and that'd be, you know, double chocolate. It's like a Tim Tam with double chocolate. Mm. Anyway, all of this dusted with cocoa to make it look rustic as well, because it really does look authentic. Looks like you could, you could use it instead. You eat it. Wonderful. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. So I just have to mention a, a few of the things we saw. That There's just so much beauty around in all directions. So pretty is the city. I, I actually quickly ran out of battery on my camera, and it takes about 600 shots per 32 gigabyte memory card. And yet I just ran out. I, I, there was just so much to see and do. We, that night, and I mentioned that we only started out at four o'clock, we ate dinner at an Italian restaurant. And it's, I've said to you before, Italian is my favorite kind of food. Trattoria Trium and seats 50 people run by two brothers, Massimo and Alessandro, love those names, originally from Torino in Italy. And it turns out that well, I got chatting with them, as you do, and they've got a relative in Melbourne. 
Of course they do. Yes. Every good Italian has a relative in Melbourne. Correct. And and they said I could look him up. The, the place, by the way, Trattorio, Trattoria Trium, first opened in 1993 and was run by three Italian chefs. And the current owners of this place took over in 2003. So 10 years later, they make a very mean pasta, which is what I had absolutely cooked to perfection. So... My wife was reasonably tired, so at nine o'clock I set out again alone to explore the delights of the canals by night. They were lit and the sights were absolutely magnificent. Took me upwards of two and a half hours because, again, I was constantly stopping to take photos. By then I'd gone back, recharged, etc., etc. So that's the thing to go and do you explore it by day and then you do it again by night. So how different does it look at night? Because there are some places that... You go and, and, and there's no substantial difference, but it sounds like Bruges is a prettier place by night. Well, I wouldn't say prettier. I would say it's got a, it's almost got a fairy tale feel to it. That, that's probably the way that I think Bruges generally has got that fairy tale look about it, but especially at night with the, twi you know, the, the lights twinkling. It just, and there, there weren't very many people there because, I mean, midwinter, obviously it's not peak season. And so I had the place all but to myself. By the way, I didn't feel in any way threatened by having the place to myself, but it was really lovely. It was a really nice place, nice place to walk around and so different to anything that you'd see in Australia. So that's, again, one of the delights of travelling, of course, Chris. So, yeah, so after breakfast the following morning, I, I then took my wife back to all the places I'd visited at night and, again, covering most of the territory but plenty of new stuff as well. And if you're heading to Bruges, what you need to do is to pick up a city guide that features three glorious walks and plenty of jaw-dropping sights. So the city guide, you can it, it shows you where you can go. It's it's sort of you obviously do it by foot, and it's very very easy to do. So that's probably the the biggest tip that I'd give you. Make sure you get a Bruges card for the duration of time that you're there, so that you can see all the museums and spend more time there than I did. Uh, I mean, a day is is not ample really because you're rushing through everything. Uh, I, we made the most of it. I didn't sleep much just to make sure I saw everything. But, um, you know, I would have liked to have spent at least a couple of days there, maybe even three, because you can really soak up the ambience a bit more that way. So we were then out of there. We caught a bus to the train station and then we set off by train for Brussels Airport and we arrived an hour and a half later. And then we were on an easy jet flight to Basel. I, I, I hadn't caught an easy jet flight before, I don't think. And, and so that was good. Um, Maybe I'd caught one before. I, it, I certainly hadn't used it a lot, but I'd heard about them and I wanted to try them out. So so tell us a bit about EasyJet then. Well, I, I, I've got to say to you that I, I just booked online and it was really easy. There was no no pun intended. It, it, Hence it, the name, yeah. Yeah, no pun intended. It really, it really worked out very, very well. Just be aware baggage is one of these things that they are a lot of these airlines that are the cheaper ones they are quite ruthless about the amount of baggage if you if they say you can take 20 kilos on don't try and you know push the limit you know, whilst there may be some latitude you can't rely upon that and you know therefore they'll charge you if you sort of suddenly have two or three kilos over so just be aware of that i'm not specifically singling out easyjet here but i am talking about generally that's been my experience that you have to argue your case. So there's you know. got to be a business opportunity in this, you know. 
Yeah, what's you know, that? P- patrolling or prowling around the, the budget airline counters, right? Mm-hmm. And, and as people... And I've seen it... You see it a lot... Well, I'll tell you the place I've seen it a lot is at the Tiger Terminal, the Tiger Desks mm-hmm. in yes. Australia, where people have turned up with way too much stuff. Yeah, it's it's a real quandary because... They, they unload it and they throw... St- and quite often you'll see people throw stuff into the bins. I reckon there's a business opportunity here to go out. Well, I mean, the other thing... Collect the, the stuff th- that people throw out and sell it. Yeah. The, the other thing that people do, though, is they take clothes off and put it onto themselves. Mm. So, I mean, in other words, you've got, la- you know, how you get layers. <laughs> You'd know that, you know, low- layers in Canberra. <laughs> well, you know, the, the reality is that you, you could be seen wearing, you know, three and four layers of clothes and you, you look like a clothes horse by the time you, you went to. I, I mean, I. You look I'm like sure. an onion, like uh, yes. an ogre. Yes, you'd you'd sweat a lot on the plane. Uh, so I mean, look, it's it's also difficult. I mean, I've been uh, at times. The the other thing that I've noticed, especially with Tiger and airlines like that, they often there's people there weighing your carry on baggage. Mm. I've I've actually taken. I don't know whether you've done this, but when I'm on business trips, I've actually I much prefer to have baggage with me rather than having to wait for it so I actually pay a little bit more for the privilege and and they changed it because I think and and again I'll stand corrected here if I'm wrong but I think they used to have seven or eight kilos of hand luggage and now it's down to about five but then you can buy some more and it can get up to 12. It varies widely from, it does from think, airline think, to airline. I think that's correct but yeah it's see to be honest it used to be a lot easier when every airline had the same limits you know it used to be 20 kilos remember that you could carry underneath hey, i was watching a doco about heathrow airport the other day right and they said and i, I i'm sure i'll have to check this now but i'm sure they said that pakistan international airlines mm. has wait for this 50 kilos per passenger really 50 five zero good golly i mean well i'm i'm i weigh 56 kilos so it's I'll almost just put you in a suitcase next yeah, time. Yeah, thank you very much. I'll pay the extra for the six kilos overweight and we'll save on, a, on an airfare. Absolutely wonderful idea, Chris. Thank you. I, I can go with the pets. pets. I'm, a, I'm an ideas man, Alex. You are. You are. <laughs> we say that often on this show. We do. Never let it be said otherwise. You are a very fine man. The But... How would you lug fifty kilos around? You know, I don't seriously. Know. What the, the funny part was, and I, I do, I'll find out what it's called. I, I do highly recommend this uh, this documentary series about Heathrow Airport because uh, it gives you just an insight into what's going on, what goes on behind the scenes. Uh, and I, I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people who loves to know how things like airports work. Oh yeah, I, I mean, airports are t- mini towns, aren't they? These days, that's the amount, the infrastructure that's required to operate them successfully. I look. The only thing. The thing that really bothers me at my own airport is is the cost of parking, right? I mean that that can be astronomical. And what I what I've discovered is if you book in advance, you're going to save yourself a lot of money. So there's I, another travel tip. I also know that near, especially where you are in Melbourne, there are a couple of car parks not too far away from the airport. Yeah, I've but, tried those. Yeah. You're I've, not you're not a fan. No, not really. I, I mean, I understand if you've got leisure, plenty of time. But it, it delays it. It delays it by half an hour or an hour. And quite frankly, I come from the other side of town anyway. And it takes me, you know, it can take me up to an hour or more, depending on peak hour traffic. And then, then it would be more just to get to the airport. The last thing I want to do when, when you're about to confront a flight that might be, you know, the best part of 24 hours is to waste another hour or more. And even if it's an interstate trip, I no, I've tried it on a number of occasions. And every time it's taken me longer 
what I try and do is I I park in the long-term car park and I park as close as I can to the terminal and I don't actually catch the bus. I like the exercise. I like to walk. And it can take you know, as little as five to ten minutes. What about the but, sky bus service? And this, we're now getting very Melbourne-specific here. Sure. Uh, but, I, I, see, I remember the sky bus service when I was a kid living in Melbourne. Uh, mm. It was... Ho hum! I, I caught it oh, probably twelve months ago. Last time I flew into Melbourne, right? Uh, and I found that it was a greatly improved service. Yeah, look, I've I've done that as well. I live near. Do you know Chatston Shopping Centre? I, I do. Oakleyway, yeah. Yeah, biggest shopping centre in the Southern Hemisphere, apparently. Certainly the biggest in Australia, and I believe the big, biggest in the Southern Hemisphere. But regard, and they keep on building onto it. And now, by the way, they they're now building a hotel there, and they're also. Oh, good. So you to- can live there. Yep. You can live there, and yeah, they're you're, also you're, you're in trouble. And they're also putting a heliport onto it. Apparently. You're really in trouble. Yeah, I mean it's really great. It's really wonderful. I I love my Chadston. It's my home territory, and I like it because it's in squares or kind of oblongs. So you you don't. I mean, when you go to some shopping centres, you can really lose yourself. I reckon it's far less easy to lose yourself. Double negative at Chadston. So. Hats off. I'm not getting paid for saying this. I just genuinely believe that. Now, I, the reason I mentioned Chadston is when I last caught the Sky Bus, I think, is it still called the Sky Bus? It I is think. called the Sky Bus, right. yeah. yeah. It, it goes past Chadston and it's a very leisurely ride. I don't have a problem with doing that at all. I think that's great. I mean, the only thing is I would still like a higher speed rail to the airport. Chris. Mm. I mean, I, you know, to be the world's most livable city, you surely you've got to have a, a rail network that uh, infrastructure that allows you to do that and my fear is it could still take another 20 or 30 years before that happens well i, I think it may have taken a, a, a bit of a leap forward in the last couple of weeks Jeez, we're diverting away from from europe now but there's actually a mob and they're calling themselves clara c-l-a-r-a yes, I, about them with, with premier former premiers involved and mm. steve brax is one of those involved and i heard him talking about it but but i thought that was about interstate rail travel. Yeah, but if you're going the way they're going, if you look at where they're going, they're going to go west of the existing rail corridor. Yeah. It would be eminently sensible, and these people who are involved in this, I've spoken to a couple of them, they strike me as eminently sensible people. Mm. They would run past, they'd, run, they'd have to run very close to the airport. And imagine that if you flew in, it would turn Melbourne, because they're going to build this thing not from Sydney to Melbourne, but they're going to go the other way, from Melbourne to Sydney. It would turn Melbourne into the gateway for Australia. Yeah, which sounds wonderful. But okay, so here's my question: mm-hmm. If you're catching a high-speed rail to the airport, why would you do that? Well, I'm talking about if you say if you've just flown in from, yes. uh, let's say you've flown in from Tokyo. Yeah. You want to fly if you fly into an airport that has no curfew. Yes. So you fly into Melbourne, and Melbourne. then you can, and then you add an hour and a bit onto your trip. Uh, that, that's the speed they're talking about, and you're in Canberra, or you add two hours on your trip, oh, and you're in Sydney. Right, but, but th- that makes perfect sense to me. But my question is, if you then want to get a rail from from the airport to your home via the rail corridor into the city that doesn't exist, what do you do? Oh well, no, they'd run. They'd run from Melbourne. From oh, they from would. Mel- yeah, they're going to start in the Melbourne CBD and go north. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, well, so okay. and they that would be that, great. Yeah, and that's the thing. That would be part of the thing. Of the attraction would be imagine that you jump off a plane that's just been doing nine hundred kilometres an hour and get on a train that does four hundred kilometres an hour. You'd oh, be in. Brilliant. Yeah. You know, absolutely. That, brilliant. Yeah. I could I could visit you more often in Canberra. I I not not when it's minus. Is it true that this year you got down to minus seven? No, that was last year, last year. We did, however, have snow last week. Of course you did. 
Well, but so did most of Australia. <laughs> no, I mean, we, we, we froze our petunias off as well. In, in Melbourne, it was darn cold. That's enough, about, a, that's enough about your petunias. Yeah, you. okay, that's enough of it. Do, do, you, do you think that... Do you think I've now got time to talk about Basel? I think no, have- no, we'll leave Basel. I've, I've, there are a couple of things that, that have come up earlier in this in this podcast that we should probably resolve because otherwise people will think that we're we're leaving them hanging on for no particular reason. Right. Yes, please, in, in, in no particular order, go for it. In no particular order, there are two football teams based in this in the in the city of Bruges. Are there really? And what are they called? Uh, I knew you were going to ask. Yeah, that. it's all right. If you're going to be a fountain of knowledge, you've got to be a fountain of knowledge. They are, they are called Circle Bruges KSV, which plays in the Belgian second division, and, right. the, and there is Club Bruges KV. And I, I, shame on me for for forgetting Club Bruges because they often play in European competitions and so on. They are a top level team. Right. The thing that amazes me here is that their home stadium, and I'm assuming that you didn't see the stadium while no. you were. There. Not in the day I was there, no. The, the, the Jan Breidel Stadium. Now, this is in a city of, what did you say, about 120,000 people? Yeah, you're correct. It's a 30,000-seat stadium. Wow. And they're planning a new stadium for Club Bruges yeah. at 45,000 seats. Wow. So here's the tip. Here's the big tip. If they build that stadium, before you go on a trip to Belgium, have a look at the Belgian football fixtures and go on a go to Bruges on a day where both Club Bruges and Circle Bruges are playing at their at their stadiums because that's seventy five thousand people out of the way. You will have the city to yourself, daytime <laughs> or nighttime. Very clever. I like it. See, you are very useful. I'm a In spite of what people say about you, you are. It's good, Chris. Indeed, indeed. And the uh, the National Carillion in Canberra. Yes, how many bells? How many? It, yes, it, it now has fifty-five bells. It was. It used to be fifty-three, but they added another couple about twelve years ago. And it used to be how many? Sorry, I lost that. It used to be fifty-three. Right. And it is now fifty-five. The smallest weighs in at a mere seven kilograms, yes. and and the largest tips the scales at six tons. Wow! So it outdings Bruges. Well, it is the national Carillion. Well, yeah, that's true, but 47 to 56. All right, well, it's pretty close, but there we go. And, and in fact, it was the perfect century when it was 53, 47 plus 53. Very nice. Oh, indeed, indeed. There we go, 100 bells between two Caribbeans, but they went and spoiled it when they updated the Canberra one. Exactly. I'm still, you know, I still struggle, you know, the, the Don Bradman average, you know, we're almost pushing towards that last innings, you know. Oh, anyway. <laughs> and now, people, note, now we, people who know nothing about cricketing, you know, what is he talking about? What is he talking about? Please, Sir Donald Bradman, if you don't know about cricket, one of the greatest, probably the greatest sporting identity Australia has ever had, yeah? Him or Farlap? (laughs) This has been a very unusual podcast. Folks, we're going to do it all again. That's why it's called Travel First. Because we start with travel and finish up who knows where. Who knows where, exactly. And... And and the, the, the brainiac that you've been hearing at the other end of this conversation, his name is Chris Coleman, if he's prepared to own up to it. My name is Alex First. We'll do it all again in a few days' time. Catch us then, folks. You've been listening to Travel First. For more, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the full podcast at Audioboom, Stitcher and iTunes or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. From Audioboom comes Covert, a new podcast that delves into the murky world of spies, soldiers, and top-secret military operations. I'm Jamie Rennell. 
and together we'll discover the real stories of history's greatest classified missions, told by the operatives, soldiers, and journalists who experienced it firsthand. Follow Covert on Spotify, or subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows.